listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. Put your hand on your heart. I'm going to pray for you tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you as we go into your word tonight. We thank you that your word is truth and life. But what do we do right now? We prepare our hearts. We prepare our hearts to receive from you. And God, we pray that you would speak to us and our hearts would be ready to receive. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Give someone a high five. Say you're looking good, looking good, looking good. Man, it's crazy. It feels like I haven't been behind the pulpit for a long time. It's nearly two weeks. But I will say, since I've been out, just what a wonderful job my dad did last Sunday or two Sundays ago. Rob did, the bishop, on the Wednesday night. And then Pete, just this past Sunday, Pastor Pete did a phenomenal job. As we've been looking at the Bible greats, we're going through the great stories of the Bible. Stories that we were shocked to realize not everyone knows. When you've been brought up in Sunday school and you know it all, so many times you don't think that other people don't know what you know. So every October, we take the opportunity to go through, and we start at the Genesis, and we're working our way through, and when we finish, we finish. But we're going to keep going every October, talking about Bible greats. And tonight, I want to talk about the mantle. The mantle, that's my title today. I want to talk about really where Pete was on Sunday and where I'm going to be this Sunday. I'm talking about the in-between part between Elijah and Elisha. And I'm really enjoying this series. Anyone else enjoying this series? Because I think they are so impactful stories then, but now also for right now. Because they display to us and bring light to us the miraculous guiding, correcting, strengthening, healing, providing power that God is and wants to be in our world today. He's not just a God of yesterday. Thank God for him moving in these situations. But God's just as interested in your situation and your need so he can write your story just like the stories that are written here in his word. Why? Because their God is still the same God that can be your God today. And we're so thrilled about that. So tonight I want to look at step one, really, of Elijah handing over his position to Elisha. A little bit confusing, so stay with me. Jah and Shah. Elijah and Elisha. So pay attention. So on Sunday, Pastor Pete talked about the sacrifice. The sacrifice. And he talked about how Elijah gathered the people together. Look at this scripture again, 1 Kings 18.21. Elijah stands in front of the people and says, How long will you falter? How long will you be straddled? How long are you going to straddle the fence between two opinions? What does he say? If the Lord is God, then you need to start following him. 
But if Baal, I like how it writes. Notice it doesn't say if God is God, follow him. And if Baal is God, notice Elijah doesn't say that Baal is God. Why? Because he already knows he's not. Do I hear an amen? He says, so if God is God, you follow him. But if Baal, then you what? You follow him. Here's a very, very sad line, I think, in the word of God, that the people's reply was nothing. Because the Bible says, but the people answered him not a word. If you're taking notes tonight, you need to realize this. You cannot be passive and move into your future. You can't do nothing and expect your future to begin to happen in your life. As we're going to see in this story tonight, as we look at the mantle or the calling of Elisha, it requires a decision from you, but more than even a decision, a decision that's followed with an action. A lot of people have made a decision and stayed and have done nothing. Apart from saying yes, but they haven't lived in the yes, they haven't walked in the yes, and they haven't stepped into the freedom which God has for our lives. And I'm telling you, a decision with action is really another way to say and living by faith. Because that's what faith is. Giving our lives to Christ, making a decision, and then living that decision and walking it out. So they decided that day, That the God who answered with fire, remember, he was going to be the one true God. God came through. Shocker there, huh? God came through. He was the true God. The false prophets were killed and all is good. Everyone goes home. End of story. No, no, no. Say with me, no. No. Why? Because Elijah hears that Queen Jezebel is not happy with him. Jezebel is Ahab's wife. He was the king of that time. She's not happy with them. Why? Because really they were her priests that he had killed. And she's not happy about it. And you can read this in 1 Kings 19. And guess what? Because she's not happy, she wants to kill him to take revenge for the 450 lives that he had taken. And she said this statement. She says, tomorrow your life is going to be over. Tomorrow your life is going to be over. So here's Elijah, the man who calls fire down from heaven, the man of faith and power that he runs for his life. Has anyone ever felt like that on a Sunday? You feel like you can convince the world and it seems like Monday you're hightailing it and you're running from everything. So here he is, he's running for his life and he eventually finds himself in a cave. There's more to the story, but that's not our story tonight. Read it for yourself. But notice what God says. God finds him in the cave and God says to him in 1 Kings 19 verse 9, the last part, God says to him, what are you doing here? Elijah, I mean, come on, what are you doing here? Please understand something. God is not questioning him because God doesn't know. God's not like saying, oh, what are you doing here? Like, I don't know what's happening in the situation. Why? Because God fully knows it's not God who's having a memory lapse. The problem is Elijah has forgotten. And I think in our lives, the same can be true. It always reminds us what? When there's a question that God asks us, it's not because God's forgot or God needs to know something. It's because we've forgotten and we need to be reminded of something that I don't belong in a cave when God's called me to be his mouthpiece. God's not called me to hide out and to be silent. So God was saying, come on, remind yourself of who you are. So here's Elijah feeling sorry for himself. And I know none of you have ever been there. And he's feeling sorry for himself. Why? Because he's just stood up against 
the whole people. He stood up against all these prophets. He One man on his own. He has stood up and he has done all this for God. And here's what I think he's probably feeling. And this is my reward that I'm going to die because this woman is going to kill me. The next few verses is amazing because God says, get out of the cave. And God says, I want to show you who I am. And the Bible says that a wind came. The Bible says a fire came. And the Bible says an earthquake came. And that place, that mountain shook when those things came. But the Bible then says, but then there came a delicate whisper. A still, small voice. You see, the Bible says God wasn't in the wind, the fire and the earthquake. But God was in the voice. What was God showing Elijah that we need to see today? Here's what it is. God was showing him and us the level of relationship he desires for us to have. Because he wants to be that still, small voice to us. What does that need to be? A level of intimacy because you've got to be up close and personal to hear a whisper. And that's what God wants. And I think sometimes we can maybe get so full of ourselves and think, look at me, I'm the prophet of God. I'm called of God. I've paid my tithes. God, we can get become distant from God. Come on now, with our pride and our arrogance, we can get full of ourselves. And God sometimes has to bring us back to a place where he reminds us, I need you to be so close that you can hear a delicate whisper. And I love that picture. I love that picture. So Elijah is looking for the reward. And all the time, his reward was right there. Why? Because you know what God said to Elijah? I'm your reward. And I am everything that you can ever need in life. And again, that's not our story. That's a good one. So read it for yourself. So then Elijah, he's now back to where he needs to be. He's reminded again of the relationship he needs to have with God. And now he can hear God and God instructs him. And God tells him, would you go and anoint three people? Would you know, anoint two kings? And you, would you anoint Elisha to be your successor? Think about this. It wasn't till he recognized God as the still small voice that once again he was able to hear the instruction of God. It's never a case that God ever stops speaking, but many times we're too distant to hear. Never be too distant to hear the instruction of God. Because I wonder how many times we're in the wrong mind and that we're in the wrong place to hear God. So now here's our story. Here's where we're at. That was just the introduction. Turn to your name and say, introduction, introduction. Here's the story. 1 Kings 19.19, sorry, 1 Kings 19.19 says this. So he departed from there. Elijah departed from the presence of God. And he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the last 12. In other words, there was 12 teams, two oxen yoked together, someone behind with a plow. There was 12 teams of oxen. And where is Elisha? He's at the last 
team. It's amazing to me, again, when I read stories like this. And again, today I sat down and I said, God, help me to read this and see this like I've never read this before. And something just really jumped out at me when I just read even those words. It's amazing. He's not at the front of the line, is he? Where is he at? He's at the back. Does that sound familiar? Because didn't we talk about that a couple of weeks ago? Seven sons were presented before the prophet Samuel, but they weren't the ones. But who was the chosen? The eighth child that was forgotten. So many times we think we've got to be the biggest and the best to be chosen. I'm telling you, God chooses from wherever he wishes in the line because he's not looking as man sees. He's looking to our heart. And I want to remind you tonight, God knows where you're at. And he'll find you if you remain faithful. Do I hear an amen? God will find you if you remain faithful. And then what it says, he found Elisha and he passed by him. I think it's pretty amazing. He's gone to anoint him. He's gone to ask him to be his successor. And he doesn't even stop just to explain the deal to Elisha. He doesn't even ask him, is this something you're interested in? The Bible says that he just passes by him. And what does he do? He throws his mantle on him and just keeps walking. And what I want to do tonight is, tonight I want to make my points a little bit different. I've got three points tonight, but I'm going to present points as a question. We're going to ask the point tonight. We're going to ask questions. So here's question number one. Are you ready? If God has called us to do great things, then why do most people not experience them? If God has called us, and whether you believe that or not, I'm telling you right now, it's true. God has called you. God has called the whole world. The problem is, will we reply and will we respond? His calling is for the whosoever. So listen to me, if God has called us to do great things, check, he has, then why do most people not experience them? I believe from this one verse that we've just read tonight, I believe there's a great truth and an answer to that question that we need to see. Why? Because listen to this, too often we pick the wrong place to begin pursuing the greater things God has for us. Too many times we pick the wrong place to begin pursuing the greatest things of God. What do I mean for that? Too many times we look for the greatness instead of discovering God in the smallness. So many times we want to say, well, when I get to that level, I'm going to do, we can find God right now. And we need to find God right now. Because remember, once again, where is God looking? He's not looking in the palace. He's looking again in a field. He's looking and observing in the mundane, everyday life ways. He's looking to see who's faithful with their work. Who's the honorable one that's doing what is needed? Who's the one that's putting their shopping cart back at Walmart? He's looking to see who's the one who's faithful. Who's the one that has integrity? Who's the one that's living that practical life in the mundane, unnoticed things of life? It's amazing how our actions and words can change when people are watching us. Shouldn't happen. We should be the same because there's always one who's watching us. And God sees and he knows all 
things. If you want to just wake up one day and think you're going to arrive at your destiny, I hate to break it to you, but you're going to be disappointed. You're not just going to wake up one day and be where you need to be. To get where you need to be is involving steps each and every day to do the right things in your life. You've got to be faithful to the process that's going to take you to your destiny. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding tonight. You've got to do one step in front of the other. And you know where the steps start? The first step is not many times up to the platform so you can stand before a pulpit and preach. The first step may be to open a door and smile and let someone in. The first step may be to just do something that's kind and considerate to someone that no one else is noticing. But God's taken note and it's a step that is stepping you in the right way. You see, too many people want to begin big. Where God says you've got to start small so I can make you big. You see, many people don't experience the life that God has destined for them because they cannot pass the trust test. The trust test. You know what the trust test is? I want to tell you what the trust test. I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. The trust test is this. God says in his word, if I cannot trust you with small things, how can I trust you with big? You've got to pass the trust test with the small. God says you can't be trusted with great riches if you're not faithful with the little and the small. You see, you've got to pass the trust place. Here's our problem in life. Are you ready? Every one of us so often in life are looking for the way out instead of looking for the way up. We just want the way out. Just get me out of this. If I can just get out of this, then everything. You know, maybe the reason you're in there is because God wants you in there. So if you get out of that, that means you're stepping out of the plan and the purpose of God. Oh, it's too painful. It's too hard. I don't want to be here. So what do we want? We want the easy escape and we want the easy way out. I'm telling you, in circumstances in life and the situations you're in, you don't need out of your marriage. You don't need out of your job. You don't need out of where you're at. You need up. You need your way up. You need to look for the way up. Why? Because when you're looking for the way up, you're choosing to live a life that honors God. And wherever you may be, you're saying, God, right here, I can look up and I can honor you wherever I'm at. Kill the fairy tale of your life. So many Christians are living a fairy tale. Someday my prince will come. Come on, you laugh, but it's true. One day I'm going to get my break. One day I'm going to get out of here. Listen, you're not called to get out. You're called to get up. And you've got to lift your life. You've got to lift your standards. You've got to lift your walk. You've got to lift your talk. And you know how you do that? You start laying the foundation. You may be the 12th team right at the back of the pack. But guess where God came? Right there. You've got to start laying the foundation for your life. You've got to start asking God every day, God, give me the right attitude to begin to thrive where I'm at. We get so much about when I get there. Listen, for you'll never get there if you don't get here. You've got to get it where you're at right now. 
So Elijah passes by and he just throws his mantle onto Elisha. The mantle is pretty significant. It also could be referred to as a cloak. The mantle was significant for many reasons. It was the most important article, they said, of clothing a person could own. Why? Because they would use it for protection against the weather. They would use it as bedding at night. They would use it as a place to sit. Let's have a picnic. Let's stretch out the mantle. Let's sit on it. They would even use it as a means of luggage, carrying things where they would put it down, put things in, grab it, pick it up, and carry it. A mantle or a cloak was also used as identity. You knew the type of person it was because in the Bible they speak about a beggar's garment. But yet the priests had a different robe. The cloak, the mantle represented, the mantle represented the prophet of God. He was God's mouthpiece. That mantle could be given in a pledge for a debt. And also we read of in the scripture that it could be torn to pieces in a time of grief to show those around. But by Elijah throwing his mantle on Elisha, it symbolized that he was God's choice. That he was electing Elisha to receive the authority and the power of his office. That he was the one that was going to succeed him and be the next chief. But not yet. Come on, say with me, but not yet. But not yet. Read verse 20. Are you ready? And Elisha left the oxen and he ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And Elijah replied to him and he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? Here's question number two. Are you ready? What will be our response? What will our response be to the invitation? What was the invitation that's given to see if you want to be the next prophet? What will your response be to the invitation that you're a part of? Elijah first asked what? What does Elisha first ask? He asked the question, can I first go home? And can I kiss my parents? And my family, can I say my goodbyes? Can I say my farewell? Is that okay? And the last statement of Elijah can be kind of confusing because how you read it, it's almost like he's saying, hey, if you go home, it's over. But that's not the case. In fact, if you would study it, what Elijah says is not a disapproval of what he wants to do, but it's rather an approval because he's saying, go and make the appropriate farewells to your family. I like what the New Living Translation says. It says, go on back, but consider what I have done to you. You can go back and say bye, but you don't forget what's just happened. Don't forget the decision that there is for you to make. There's an invitation made. Are you going to accept that invitation? Don't forget what God has called you to. And I'm telling you right now. I think Elijah, or Elisha rather, realized something. If I'm going to be everything that God wants me to be in the future... I've got to make sure that everything of my past is closed. Let me explain that. You know why I believe that Elisha went home? It was more than just a kiss goodbye to his mum and dad. 
And I'm reading between the lines now. If you don't agree with this, then hey, I'm sorry. I don't think theologically this is incorrect because I really believe when we understand what he was called to be and he was called to do and what happened in this situation, I believe that this fits. I believe it's right. Why? Because I believe it was more than just a kiss. You know what I believe he was doing? I believe he was going back and making sure all his business and his affairs and everything was in order. That if there was any debt that he owed anyone, he was taking care of that. That if there was someone that he had unforgiveness in his heart, he was making it right. Why? Because he knew something that you and I need to hear. Are you ready? If we're going to have a future, we've got to be prepared to step into that future. And we can't step into that future while we're still grabbing the past. So I wonder what's attached to our life. I wonder if you've got bitterness attached to your life. Maybe you need to deal with that. Let me say that different. You need to deal with that. Maybe you've got hurt in your life. You've got resentment. You're carrying a grudge. You're offended. Remember, offense is never given. It's only received. Well, they offended me. No, you allowed them to offend you because you took that. They didn't give it. You took it. Maybe you're carrying guilt. Maybe you're carrying shame because the enemy's good at presenting that to you. Oh, I know what you did. Maybe you're carrying unforgiveness. Maybe you're carrying irresponsibility. A lot of irresponsible people today. Maybe you're carrying all of those things. But I want to show you something. Look at this. God is calling you knowing all those things about your life. Aren't you glad God didn't say get straight and then I'll come back and visit you? God is calling him with perhaps all the baggage of life. And maybe he doesn't have baggage, but God called me with a lot of baggage. God called you with a lot of baggage in your life. Why? Because God called knowing those things, but listen to me, not desiring those things. Because God wants me, but God doesn't want that stuff. Because what God wants me to do with that stuff is leave it at the cross. And lay it down so I can walk with him burden free, worry free, carefree, not carrying the past in my life anymore, but living for him. Listen, God can use the tests of my life and turn them to testimonies. But God cannot use our baggage. That has to be laid down. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, since we are surrounded by such a crowd of witnesses, Witnesses in heaven and witnesses in earth. What does he tell us to say? Let us lay aside every what? Weight and the sin. Notice weight and the sin. Say with me, weight and the sin. I want to tell you right now, weight is not a sin. But weight has the opportunity to become a sin if it's not properly handled. And if it's not properly placed, if it's not placed or if it's placed before God, then the weights can become a sin. Pastor Pete preached that. Our job can become a weight and can become a sin if we put that before God. Our spouse can be a weight and become a sin if we put them before God. Because what I'm saying, not all weights are sins, but they have the opportunity to be if they're placed wrong in our lives. So we're warned here of the things that we may say, oh, I can get by with that. Yeah, you maybe can, but when it becomes in the wrong place, And it begins to consume your life. Guess what? You're going to get into trouble. Because so many times as Christians, we want to make blessings our goal. But the blessings are not our goal. Here's our goal. The blesser. 
It's not the blessings that we're after. Next slide, please. It's not the blessings that we're after, but it's the blesser. Oh, if I could just get that pay rise, if I could just... uh, We've chased the blessings instead of the hand of the blesser. What does the rest of that scripture say? Oh, listen, here's a scripture in the Word of God. You know what the Word of God said in the story of Joseph when his brothers are standing before him and all this has happened and he realizes that God sent him ahead and all these things. You know what the Bible says? It says this, what Satan meant for evil. What God, what Satan has intended for evil. Guess what? God can and will turn around for good. Anyone remember that scripture? What Satan has meant for evil. I'm a firm believer that there's another scripture. Are you ready? Here's the scripture. If we don't watch, I believe the scripture reads like this. What God has intended for blessing. What God has intended for good. What? Satan can turn it around for evil and bad and use it against you. Why? Because if it's placed in the wrong place, it can take you out. Read on that verse, it says, so lay aside the weights and the sins which so easily ensnare us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. First three words, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. You see, we need proper focus and proper foundation to make it through. You you don't have to be unkind. You don't have to be unfriendly. You don't have to be unloving to be a Christian. In fact, the opposite is true. We should be the kindest people. We should be the friendliest people. We should be the most loving. We should be the greatest lovers ever. Those who now know love through God. And how can we be in that place? Here's how we can be in that place from having a freed past, letting it go. Paul said this to the church of Philippi. He said in Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. In other words, you know what he's saying? I'm still learning. I'm not there. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. But one thing he does tell us is this. I have the formula for success. You want to know the success? I'm still applying this to my life. I'm not perfect. But here's the formula that will work every time. What does he say? But this one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind. I release them and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I said all that to make this point. I believe by him asking Elijah if I can go home, he was able to go and make sure that everything was taken care of and handled. Because I believe that was vital for him to go on to the next step. I'm telling you right now, if you've got unforgiveness in your life, you can try and step wherever you want, but it's going to hold you back. If you've got anger and hatred in your heart, that's going to hold you back. God can't fully use you like you need to. God wants to restore some things because in restoring those things and those relationships around you, he can restore you and he can use you. We've got so many Christians today that are stuck. They're stuck. And the more they spin their wheels, the deeper they go down. Because you can't free yourself. Only one can free you, and that's Christ Jesus. So what's your response to the invitation? Verse 21, 1 Kings 19. So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment. He took the plow and the tackle, in other words, and he lit a fire. And on that fire, he put the oxen and 
he boiled their flesh and he gave it to the people and they ate. They had a farewell meal. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Pretty important right there. He's called to be the next person, but the first thing he has to do is serve at the feet of the prophet. You see, if you can't first serve, you can never be served. Come on, I said, if you can't first serve, you'll never be in a position where you can be served. And the Bible tells us that he served him for years. It wasn't a short time, but he faithfully served Elijah for a number of years. It wasn't a quick transition. But through that transition, it required a total commitment to him. Which leads me to my last question. You ready? Question number three. Is everyone with me tonight? Is this okay tonight? Question number three. What in our life requires an act of arson? What is it in your life right now that requires an act of arson? What do I mean by that? What is there in your life right now that you need to take a match to and burn? You see, Elisha does more than just running after Elijah. You know what else he does? He makes sure there's nothing to go back to. There's a story of one king who was invading a country. And the first act he did when he took his ships and he pushed them up onto shore. You know what was the first thing he did? He didn't build battering rams. He didn't have a a planned strategy how to tear down the walls. The first thing he did was burn all of his ships. Because why? In doing that, he told his troops there's no way back. The only way is we've got to succeed because there's no B plan. He put fire to those things. Elisha burns his old life. What a statement he made as he fired up the grill. Come on. And he had a barbecue. What was he saying? I'm making a decisive break from my old life. What has become familiar and normal. I'm breaking from that and I'm making a change. Listen to me, it is true that God has a greater life in store for Elisha than anything he had known before. And it is true that God has a greater life in store for you than anything you have ever known before. But if you want to have the kind of greater life like Elisha did, you have to do what Elisha did. You've got to burn your plows. You see, the plow that we're talking about is that which can chain you back to the ordinary. That which can be an anchor for your life. You see, maybe for some of you, your plow is your job. You hate your job. You're not in the right job. You're struggling with that. Now, listen to me. I'm not telling you to go out and quit your job because that's irresponsible. You've got to take care of your family. But maybe it's become your plow. Maybe you need to go back to school. Maybe you need to get the training. Maybe you need to excel and go out. Why? Because that's becoming a plow that's holding you back. Maybe it's you in your job. What do I mean by that? Maybe you have a passionless and purposeless approach to your job and that's something that God has placed you in and put you in and you're going every day miserable, dishonoring God by what he's did. Come on, you need to burn some attitudes and some things and say, I'm not going back there anymore. I'm changing and I'm going to be a new person. Maybe your plow has become the continuous choice that you have to keep your spouse's past mistakes mistakes against him or her. You got to burn that plow and say, listen, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm not going to go back there anymore. My only way is forward. That's not a life 
That's not where I belong and that's not where I want to be. You've got to torch that thing and get rid of it. Too many of us shelve it and say, just in case I can come back to it. And I'm telling you, if you leave it just in case, you're going to find yourself there every time. If you go into a marriage saying, hey, if it doesn't work, it's probably not going to work. You've got to go into a marriage saying, we're going to make it work. Because with the three of us, we're going to make it work. And we're not talking about that other girl or that other man. We're talking about God because the three of us make the right team. And we're going to make it with God. Maybe you're harboring unforgiveness. That can become a plow to you. You've got to cut that. And even though that person doesn't say, oh, I forgive you, and there's a big hug and it's warm, fuzzy feelings, responsibility of forgiveness is one-sided. It's between you and God. You've got to make it right with you and God, no matter what that person chooses to do with it. You are clearing your case. You are burning your plow so you can live free of that thing. And the list can goes on and on. But I wonder what needs to die in your life so a new life can be birthed. Can I sum it up in one word? Surrender. Surrender. That's what needs to happen. We need to say, Lord, here's my life. It's open-ended. It's pointed in the right direction of the next step you call me to take. No matter what it costs, God, I want to do it. That's a prayer that we all need to make in our life. And when we do, the craziest thing about surrender is this. Are you ready? On one hand, it feels as if you're losing complete control. Because essentially you are. But on the other hand, what an amazing freedom comes when you begin to pray a prayer like that. God, here's my life, open-ended. I'm pointing it in the right direction. Use me for whatever you need, whatever the cost. Because when you do that and when you pray that, listen to me, your heavenly Father takes the outcome of your obedience into His responsible hands so you no longer have to carry the weight on your own. It has to be laid on the altar. It has to be placed as a surrender to God. You see, you can't offer something on an altar before it first dies. Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies. He had to come And die so he could bring us life. We've got to die to self. We've got to burn that plow. We've got to burn that plow of selfishness, a grudge, unforgiveness. The way we've got to burn all of those things. Why? Because that's not our life, but it's holding us back from following where God wants us to be. Listen to me. Are you ready? Almost done. God doesn't always tell you how he's going to do it. He only tells you that he will. Oh, God, if I'm going to follow you, can you just give me the particulars? You know what God told to Abraham? I'm going to make you blessed and all the nations of the earth and everything. Wow, that's really good. God will tell me what to do. He said, just go into a land I'm going to show you. Well, God, can you tell me? Just go. I mean, come on, God, can you give me more details? No, just go. Because what do you know about God? God doesn't always give you the details, but he gives you enough to make the step. And when you make the step, he'll give you more. He'll give you more and he'll give you more. But if you're waiting for God to illuminate the flight path for you to land, you're going to be circling for the rest of your life. Because sometimes you've got to trust the dials. 
You've got to trust your heart. You've got to trust what God has told you. Think about Peter, and I, I know I'm preaching over here. I, I think about Peter. Peter's standing on the side of a boat, and the waves are crashing. And he says, Jesus, if that's you, bid me come. What did Jesus say to him? Didn't say, come on, close. He said one word to him, come. I don't know about you, but if I was standing on the boat, I would need a few more words than that, Jesus. Could you just hook me up a little bit? But I read something today and I thought, how beautiful is this? Man cannot walk on water. It's impossible to walk on water. But what Reinhard Bonnke said today, I thought, wow, this is so powerful. He said, when Peter stepped out of that boat, he stepped out onto the word of come. Why? Because the word was the word of God. And when he stood on the word of God, he was able to make it over that which was impossible. If you step out on the word of God, you're going to make it every time. And that's what we've got to do. You've got to burn your plows. You've got to die to self. So I need to close this. So remember, three verses tonight came three questions. Number one, why are we not experiencing all of God? Why is it that we lack in so many areas? I'm telling you why. Because we're not totally faithful where we're at. We're longing to be somewhere else and looking for a way out when God says, I'm looking for a way up. Be faithful. What is my response to the invitation? Have I settled my accounts? Am I living peaceably with people? Am I being the person that I need to be? What's the last question? What do I need to go? What needs to go in my life? What needs to take an act of arson? What must die? What must I not go back to? I'm telling you right now, from Elisha's example, his story can be your story. The Bible says that examples like this were given in Scripture so we could learn and we could know. We're going to discover step number two when he finally has the mantle all for himself on Sunday morning because we're going to talk about the extraction. And God takes Elijah out and Elisha's left. Would you all stand to your feet tonight? We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.